Hi, and welcome to Bloody Good Reads. I'm your host, Mark Goddard. And yet again, we're joined by another amazing guest. A guest who I've met on several occasions. We do have a conversational history, which is absolutely brilliant. So I have a bit more to talk about with this uh, with this guest here today. A bit of a personal note, he's been a huge help and a huge influence to me when I first started out with uh, writing and podcasting. He is the author of the amazing superhero series, hero.comvillain.net, uh, the Tarzan series as well, and has a bit of a history in screenwriting and in horror movies. So I guess this week is the amazing Andy Briggs. Welcome to the podcast. Ah, it's good to be here. Thanks, Mark. So we know you. We, we've, we've, been, we've spoken throughout the years, <laughs> so this is going to be an interesting <laughs> one because... Uh, I know a few talking points I want to go to, but <laughs> welcome to the podcast. So what we would normally do here at the start of the podcast is basically tell us a little bit about yourself and your, then we'll get into your career and we'll have a little chat about uh, your bloody good reads, which is always <laughs> a uh, interesting part of the podcast. My, my history of horror. <clears throat> uh, it's, it's uh, well, first of all, hor- horror films were the very, very first thing that I'd, I'd always tried to watch. You know, watching the old um, Universal monster movies and all that kind of stuff. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Loved it all. Um, so just as a kid, the one thing I'd always bunk away to try and do is, is watch a good old horror movie. And that, that kind of stayed with me for, um, well, forever. Um, and then I sort of seg- segued into um, writing uh, you know, trying to get an agent, trying to write, trying to get things made. And then uh, along with my brother, uh, Peter, uh, we had the good fortune, or he had the good fortune of leaping uh, straight down the throat of Hollywood uh, with a little film called Alien vs. Predator. And then from there, mm-hmm. we ended up doing a, a kind of um, a whole bunch of things, uh, the most fun of which in, in the horror vein uh, had to be one of the many, 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 many writers on Freddy versus Jason, uh, which was um, which was fun and a little bit of a a, a geeky uh, moment. Um, and then mm-hmm. I ended up writing a whole bunch of uh, horror things for the Sci Fi Channel, which was uh, always good fun. Um, anything with um, you know poor young girls running around being chased by gargoyles and various monsters is, is always terrific. And I kind of just drifted in and out that I wrote other things um, and then moved into the world of books, like you've mentioned, superhero books and Tarzan, and um, have my eye on um, a couple of horror books in the not-too-distant future, um, along with um, actually producing uh, now as well as writing so there's a couple of horror movies in that pipeline and um, the very strange possibility I might actually be directing a horror film later this year but who knows question mark certainly not me or it's it's in the pipeline because <laughs> I know you more from your from your uh, young adult books and I, I know from our previous conversations is a Freddy versus Jason so I know that you do have a whole other horror so if anybody ever says why have we got a young adult author on here? Once the books are amazing, too. <laughs> you have a history of horror. So there you go. <laughs> horror is so, horror is is one of those odd topics because you know what do people define as horror? Uh, mm. Which is an, inter- an interesting question in itself. Um, I, one of my recent movies was a movie called Crowhurst, which is a true story uh, about a guy who uh, sets sail around the world and suddenly goes mad. Um, and by every, it's a true story, by every definition, it's a horror film. And the way the director, Simon Rumley, made that on the screen, it is absolutely a psychological horror film. So, you know, even people saying, well, young adult books, what's that got to do with horror? Well, quite a lot. The, the story beats and structures <laughs> and rhythms all kind of gel together. So where did you, where did you start out? Because I know... You were you were writing first for screen screenwriting first before you went into books, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So um, it was basically, uh, you know, my uh, my older brother Peter um, sold a spec script, uh, which was uh, Alien versus Predator. But it was fifteen years, I think, before the film ever got made. It's a long, oh, yeah. long yeah, gestation period of that movie. Um, and then, amongst all that, a whole bunch of offers for work came along. Um, including Judge Dredd, which people would say, well, that's not a horror movie, but actually, the, funnily enough, the story, <laughs> the story we worked on was the classic Judge Death story. So if you've essentially got four undead spirits going around killing people, that's classed as horror, surely. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Freddy, Freddy vs. Jason, which was uh, just a wonderful excuse to watch 
every single one of those films back to back and try and knit them together. Um, so that that's where that kind of uh, came from and everything else came from that moment. Um, and then that segued into working with the sci-fi channel. So uh, did a, um, a whole bunch of, uh, at the time, high-end movies, budgets have gone through the, through the roof since then. Um, one called Dark Relic, which was a, a wonderful uh, demon loose um, in uh, Killing a Bunch of Knights with, with James Frey, which was terrific fun. Um, mm-hmm. Rise of the Gargoyle, um, uh, which was uh, exactly what you think it's about. Kill a gargoyle on the loose in Paris, <laughs> which is um, a good fun film actually. I, I've managed to watch that one. It was a fun film. Oh, terrific! <laughs> it, was, it was it was a lot. It ne- nearly never got made until I I pointed out I just arrived back from Bucharest and it, it doubles for Paris. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a silly fun film, but it's still a fun film, and we 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 did it on the budget and uh, a little little known Wild West uh, horror movie called Ghost Town, which was. Uh, it is. It's not fantastic, but it was jolly good fun. A bunch of students get lost, and it's a whole bunch of ghostly cowboys slaughtering them. <laughs> Terrific. Fun. So, so all of that was before the YA books. So, yeah. you know, when you've done that kind of work, and then you move into young adult books, and people think, well, it's not quite the same. Well, you know, the, there is a lot of lessons to be learned, a lot of villains to be gained from the horror. What was the idea behind hero.com villain dot next because it was a it's a series of it's a series that you can't really you've never really seen before um which is the same story but it's from the hero's point of view and the villain's point of view i mean where did the idea for that one come along um so yeah the the again just love of films in general and superheroes and mm. stan lee etc um, and one day, I mean, bear in mind, this was just as iTunes was being born. The idea of what would happen if you could just click a button and download a superhero power. So for a couple hours, you could fly, you could have x-ray vision. And that's kind of where it came from. And then when I pitched the books, um, I, I, it was a blur what happened. They were interested in the hero books. And I said, hey, you could have two parallel series, the, the hero.com series and the villain.net series. And the, 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 the same worlds, but different stories, um, but the characters combine and play cameos in each other's books. And if you read both books together, then you actually get another story. And bizarrely, they went for it. We ended up doing eight books in the series uh, mm-hmm. with um, all kinds of wonderful supervillains. Being a huge Stan Lee fan, um, it, was a, it was a great excuse to invent some new ones. Um, and again, just to touch back on horror, I mean, we, we had some real fun characters in those books, like uh, Necros, uh, who had mm-hmm. just all his superhero powers are actually just villainous powers based on the dead. And you could you could just throw them in a in a children's book and have tons of fun with them and, and get away with it. Um, yeah, we had characters very timely. Uh, one called Viral, who who yes <laughs> could create viruses and pandemics. Um, so it, it's in for now. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely perfect. But so it's a lovely kind of um, uh, smorgasbord of superhero horror action adventure world travel and funnily enough i got to work my, my brother and i ended up working with stanley and we got to know him as a friend um on, mm. on a film which unfortunately never saw the light of day called forever man but you can see bits all over the internet and um i we were at comic-con in in uh, san diego and i saw stan in the green i was on a panel and i saw stan in the green room and said stan uh you know he cowered in terror and I told him about the books and said, would you give me a one-line quote? And he said, just just send me the books. I sent him the books. And then about two or three weeks later, got this huge A4 quote. And uh, he called me up saying, just, just cut it however you want it. And it was just such an honor and a humbling moment to think, oh, my God, Stanley's just endorsed my superhero book. He is a legend. He's he a, was a he legend. Was just, he, yeah, he was yeah. just such a weirdly to say this down to earth real nice guy but with that whole you know epicness behind him um there was a i'll tell you a little story my brother and i were were sitting meeting he was going through notes of uh, the film and i excitedly i just arrived in la and i excitedly said oh i was we had an office on the paramount studios lot and this little scruffy guy walked past me. And as he walked past, I realized it was Steven Spielberg. And I was geeking out at that story. And Stan just yeah. nodded and smiled. 
and then pointed uh, at the wall behind us and we turned and there's a picture of him and Spielberg on the wall shaking hands. And Stan turns to us and said, yeah, that's when Spielberg met me. And you think, yeah, that's the right way around. That's the way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> Man, he created the legends, you know, Spider-Man Absolutely. creator. My, my favorite Spider-Man. But, uh, okay, let's just ask the, ask the question. Favorite, favorite Marvel or favorite superhero kind of? Well, it's it, it's a sad it's a sad thing I have to say is Spider Man, but it was the Amazing Spider Man, not the spectacular Spider Man, and not not the umpteen other versions they did after. But the Amazing Spider Man always was my favourite, followed very closely by Daredevil. Uh, they were the, okay. the the little pocket money I had coming from working class family up north. Um, they were the two I'd, I'd throw my money at time and time again. Red suit Daredevil or yellow suit Daredevil. Red suit. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. How old do you think I am? Jeez. <laughs> hey, I'll go back and read. <laughs> it's very hard to know where to start with, with the Spider-Man ones, but yeah. Because <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy the amazing ones. Mm. really love the ultimate because I like, I love the, uh, the general arc with the ultimate Spider-Mans. But... Absolutely. It, what, what I enjoyed about those was going back where you could have a story that would last an issue or you know pushing mm-hmm. the boat out it might last four or six issues and you didn't have to read a million other comics to to get the the full story and i think mm. that's where comics have completely lost the way and alienated a lot of the younger audience is is in doing that too many years of history i, I find it's you don't really know where to start at least with the ultimate series you could start there's a start and there's an end now so you know you can game that's a series you can just read from start to end which is quite cool but anyway i'll get off the subject of superheroes (laughs) (laughs) be here all day um what we'll do we'll segue in to your first bloody good read so i've i thought long and hard about this to try and get something that was uh on all three occasions, maybe a little bit different. That resonates. So the first one is is possibly going to be the one that you're going to go. Well, how does this possibly resonate? Um, it's a <laughs> Michael Crichton book, and it's a Michael mm-hmm. Crichton book that most people would not have read. Um, possibly his least read Michael Crichton book on the planet, um, and it's called Travels. And not only is it a lesser known Michael Crichton book, it's also a non fiction book. Um, so it's got all the elements that make you think, what? <laughs> why, why are you bringing this up? So this essentially is is um, a fantastic book. It's actually up there in, in non-fiction books, uh, in my view, with Stephen King's on writing. Uh, for any people mm. out there who are creative, uh, it's just a, a fantastic book. And it document, it's Michael Crichton documenting how he how he did things, how he became Michael Crichton and, and what influenced him. So starts off from his medical student days uh, when he's soaring the skull uh, off, off a corpse. Um, and you know, then he realizes he doesn't want to become a doctor. He starts writing these kind of crime stories, starts winning awards. You know, he goes off. He directs the, the wonderful, the first great train robbery with Sean Connery and, um, you know, he, all, all these wonderful things he does and it's his whole life and you see him travel the world so it's in kind of two parts why i love this book the first part is he's traveling the world he's meeting other cultures and you can see how not only it influences his writing but also the way he creates stories and he's seeing other cultures and thinking this is wonderful and you know this is this is a terrific diverse world let's put this into a book he talks about going on an African safari and you can see all those beats in Jurassic Park, uh, like with the T-Rex, you know, the eye through the car window, all of that um, more or less happened with an elephant. And you've got these wonderful things all the way through. And then as you go through, you realize there's a little bit of a spiritual kind of edge to it, not in a, uh, a religious way, in a, in a spiritual way where he's looking at things like spoon bending and mind reading and, and astral projection. And he starts as a serious uh, trained scientist to get in and investigate and, and look at how this could possibly be real. And very wary that, you know, uh, Conan Doyle, he's treading the same steps Conan Doyle did, uh, who was heavily discredited, of course. And that always worried him. And it's a beautiful kind of weaving his 
kind of supernatural story through making films, writing books, and what he believes. Um, you know, is, is there you know is there a life after death? Could could there be you know ghosts or, or the undead? But it's really interesting having a scientist objectively looking at this um, and giving you the the side of the story. So travels by Michael Crichton. I think it's it's kind of my go-to book when uh, you know i want to go on holiday i want to sit down with a book that is just going to be uh totally irrelevant fun like a, a clive Custler action adventure where i don't have to think about anything and travels where it just helps spur my creativity and just makes me think of the world a little bit uh, more broadly than usual so going on from hero.com villain.net was it before tarzan or after tarzan that ritual was released uh, that was ritual. yeah that was so that was before so again just going back to my my love of horror um mm. so i got the uh the opportunity to write a few graphic novels and they all turned into horror graphic novels so my very <laughs> first one was uh, ritual which uh, was just i i love the nightmare on elm street stories i love those kind of classic easy slightly kind of cheesy you know candy man all those kind of 80s 90s early 90s films are, are just joyful horror films and i wanted to do something similar so ritual came about the idea that well what would happen uh if uh, a bunch of people found this crucified body in a church and it was of an old witch finder general at salem who basically used the salem witch trials to to kill and rape his way across america because you know any young girl you know he'd sort of abuse and then kill and say oh she was a witch and get away with it and he was found hung uh you know quartered put against the wall and his spirit comes back in this small sleepy village so then there's a series of murders uh, so it's a little bit kind of you know influenced by the likes of Seven. Uh, so there's some murders. The FBI move in to find out what the heck's going on because every murder follows uh, a punishment that would be administered to a witch, you know, stoning, drowning, etc. All of those, and that, and that was kind of the hub behind the graphic novel. And it was just such fun to write that they came back and asked for a second one, which kind of then pushed the whole concept a lot further and a lot more esoteric um yeah the, the nature of evil well that was that was such terrific fun to to write and then it, it spurred you know other other horror comics from it but ritual remains one of my kind of favorite guilty pleasures how much how different is it writing for like comic book writing compared to kind of fiction because obviously you're writing the main kind of dialogue or do you have the artwork there first but with a story kind of behind it uh, so you, it, it's it's very much like writing a movie. I mean, it's um, a similar discipline it, because you you write the script and describe each how many panels, what uh, the artwork is going to be in each of the panels, how they link together, and then obviously the characters' dialogue, the action is all flows from that. So it's it's a kind of hybrid between, I guess, writing a, a movie script and um, talking through a, a storyboard for a film. Um, and then the artist goes away and does the magic and then brings back artwork that is just joyous sometimes. And then you go back and think, well, I want to, I want to do more with this. Um, you know, I want to add extra bits, uh, which, which we did on my last one, which was called meat, which was more of a monster one, monster elimination and tactics. And that was more of a Godzilla kind of, uh, nod towards those, uh, um, monster movies. But, Again, I just think of it as a as a film, really. It's a film on paper. I have no idea how comic books how my comments were made, so it's actually quite interesting to know. <laughs> <laughs> so following on from Ritual, you went to Tarzan, which is an official kind of book, which is rare. You got the okay from the actual estate, didn't you? Yes, so uh with that it was terrific fun of um uh, this comes from my, my work at the Sci-Fi Channel days, and we were always looking at characters that we thought may be out of copyright or available, and Tarzan was always one we looked at. But it, 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 the copyright situation was a muddy mess. It, it actually wasn't out of copyright, and it still isn't, really. Um, one book is in America, and that's it. But Tarzan itself is a, is a trademark. So like Star Wars, you know, you can't go off and do Star Wars because Star Wars is a trademark. Um, likewise with Tarzan. So... I'd already at this point thought how to modernize the story. 
not Tarzan with an iPhone, but what would happen if you met Tarzan in, in the jungle now? Uh, more Jane-led, and the idea being that, you know, rather than, you know, local natives as the villains, as Burroughs did, uh, they were, you know, loggers and poachers and coltan miners and, you know, more, more real modern contemporary villains that, that would charm the Tarzan. So I approached the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate, who are amazingly based in a town called Tarzana in Los Angeles. Okay. And everyone said, don't talk to these guys. They, they, they won't entertain you. So I sent them an email, little explanation of what I wanted to do. And then I got a phone call and they said, come over to Tarzana. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> so okay. I went over, we did, we did three books um, and we were going to do more, but the Warner Brothers film um, was coming out. So the books were yeah. launched for the centenary, the 2012 Tarzan centenary. And uh, the idea was to get, not, not make them kids books, but get younger readers into it, but it would still chime with the older adult readers. Um, so, yeah, you get mixed results. So a lot of uh, kind of librarians in schools who have read, who read the book love it, but say the first chapter is very gruesome because essentially we have Tarzan ripping the throat out of a poacher. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted that animalistic kind of rage and violence, but without going too far into, you know, adult-rated uh, material um yeah. and then the warner's uh, warner brothers movie happened which kind of stalled and stemmed a lot of what we're doing but um yeah there's some interesting life in the old ape man yet that project is very far from dead so you you've heard it here first but i'm not telling you what it is but <laughs> there is <Okay>. uh, <laughs> there is some interesting things afoot we'll talk about no doubt hopefully another time very soon a slight exclusive. I like that. <laughs> Not a full exclusive, but slight. Oh, yeah. It's a shame, shame it's that a the one. film didn't kind of hit well. It, yeah, very, very mixed kind of reactions to the movie. Absolutely. But the book series are amazing. So it's a shame that they couldn't maybe do a film based on the books, which would be amazing. But uh, <laughs> there you go. So where did you go from from Tarzan? You had uh, had had you several releases of Tarzan. So what series did you go to after that? Well, I, again, throughout all this, I was bobbing between movies and, and, and books. So along the way, um, I think just before that at the time, uh, I'd just produced uh, my first movie um, with Dolph Lundgren and Scott Atkins called Legendary, which is a, a, monster, a monster hunter movie, uh, which, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Um, and um, there was a couple of other projects kind of looming up film-wise. But then on the books, I just decided to go a little bit more science fiction, so out of the jungle. So I went from superheroes uh, to the jungle uh, to a series called The Inventory, which ended up being four books based on the very Mm -hmm. simple premise of um, comic books. All the old comic books used to have adverts in the back for X-ray glasses, uh, for rocket Mm -hmm. packs, for invisibility cloaks. You could buy them for like a fiver. Of course, they didn't work. Uh, and, and the premise was, well, what happened? Why, why didn't they work? It's because the real things were intercepted and placed in a giant warehouse and you got given the crap. Uh, so there's a giant warehouse somewhere with rocket cars, um, you know, hoverboards, all the cool stuff we wanted as kids is, is real. And it's there, it's hidden away from us because we're all irresponsible. And the, it's essentially about that. And the first book is this underground complex owned by um, a, a secret organization, the curator and his nephew work there. And it starts off with essentially uh, the plot of Die Hard uh, with a bunch <laughs> of rogues breaking into the infantry, which is like multi-level security. So every time you go down a level, it gets worse and worse and worse. And it's a kind of cross between Die Hard, Maze Runner, and um, anything with the world's coolest gadgets. So we have our heroes who are trying to outrun the bad guys to find Iron Fist, but nobody knows what Iron Fist is because everything's codenamed and it's not okay. quite what you expect it to be. So we did four of those. That, that was a wonderful, fun series today. There's a lot more science fiction than anything else. Very cool. Very cool. So let's go into your second bloody good read. What we brought to us. So the second one, uh, as a slight change of pace, it's a crime thriller and I'm not the world's biggest crime thriller fan. Mm. Um, so it was a uh, series of books, and the first one is called Strangers by Paul Finch. Um, and 
They are such good fun. Um, so essentially, Strangers, it's, the series is about a, a police detective, Lucy Claiborne, who on the first chapter starts out as a newly minted detective. It all goes wrong. And by chapter two, she's demoted to, you know, beat cop in the streets around Manchester because she screwed up so badly. And it's an interesting series because Paul has done this amazing job of giving us a a, a real uh, strong uh, lead character uh, who you really sympathize with, even though she completely screws things up. And she is not the lead detective at all. She is kind of a cog in the machine. And he's just done this amazing job where this cog in the machine starts to um, uncover a serial killer case. And the serial killer case is rather bizarre. There's certain things about it that are not quite right, that are slightly different from normal. And as Lucy goes through, um, just trying to find out what's going on, she, she goes undercover, she, you know, she's volunteering for a variety of things and gets involved with very violent uh, gangs. It includes everything from prostitution to child smuggling and and he's crammed so much just into one book and there's a series of books um that it takes you down the darkest paths in manchester imaginable and it's done in such a fresh fun way with such a bright voice with this this lucy claiborne who all the way through you just absolutely think this this is the next rock star (laughs) kind of character and it really took me out of out of the book in in a wonderful way whereas with kind of murder mystery thrillers i, I can tend to get bored and easily yeah. guess early on you know what's it. behind it and it's a layer of darkness because paul writes a lot of horror as well there's a layer of darkness throughout it that is just perfect for, for a real world crime thriller there's no supernatural in it at all and it's just a beautiful fusion in my view it's a very thin line between crime and horror find that yeah. with a lot of the crime fiction because aside from horror crime would be the next one for me mark blinham was kind of my go-to so he read oh, buried, really? yeah. buried buried was my first one and i thought that was amazing and you know, from reading his kind of it's a general series from start to finish from that point um it's hard, hard dropping halfway through but yeah it was such a great series and i'll always go to kind of the crime thrillers from that point especially the serial killer kind of stuff but that's where you get the serial killer part. It's 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 slasher basically, but it's exactly. the, yeah, like Saw. It is Saw is pretty much a crime drama, but it's a horror. It's a yes. Yeah, I love the fine well, line between. I well, I completely agree, I and mean, that's why I said up front that um, horror is just too fine a line mm. um, to 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 hover around. So you know, even <laughs> young adult superhero books can have a a core of horror if that if that's what you like and that's that's what i did um you know one of my all-time well probably my all-time favorite horror film uh would be john carpenter's the thing but Mm. you could argue to your blue in the face that that's actually a sci-fi movie not a horror movie but it's what is it so i I love i love any story that that straddles those lines and and, and merges them together like aliens because aliens is always cast as a horror film but i always say it's (laughs) sci-fi yeah but it's, it's, yeah, it's horrific sci-fi. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. I had a question. Now it slipped from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was going to say, because even with, in comic books, like with the like the Spider-Man, uh, some of the Spider-Man arcs, like Venom is very yeah kind of horror and um, kind of man-spider story and Morbius. And there's so much kind of horror where you don't think it's going to be horror. So it's always good. But um, anyway, yeah. I'm rambling, <laughs> rambling. Um, so where did you go next in your rhyme? Um, so um, it, it kind of, a couple of things happened. So I ended up um, on the film side, uh, starting a production company, which, which is doing a variety okay. of things um, from, um, from crime to horror, TV and film and theater. We're doing a whole, smorgasbord again to use that word of of material uh and around that time um i'd just written a film uh called crowhurst which is a, a true life story about donald crowhurst who uh fakes his own death uh during the world's first around the world 
yacht race. Um, and he goes slowly mad. Um, and of course, as is typical with this, the story's never been told before. And two films came out at once. The, the hugely budgeted Colin Firth version called The Mercy and our little low-budget film. Um, and one of them flopped and one of them got five, four, four, four five-star reviews across the board, um, which was ours. So I was kind of pleased. <laughs> and it was his descent into madness that was fantastic. And it's a true story. And by any definition... Uh, it, it's a horror story. I mean, this guy genuinely became convinced that he could um, communicate with the devil uh, by doing mathematics. And uh, yeah. if he went to a certain longitude and latitude or a certain time of day and killed himself, he could actually rewrite reality and go back out of the race um, and either win it or just go back home with his wife and kids. Um, and, and it's just an amazing, sad, true, but an amazing descent into the craziness of isolation. Um, so uh, that was terrific fun to work, work with. And at the same time, I was, I was doing a, uh, another movie that, that kind of faded from, faded from everyone's consciousness called Supervised, which was a superhero uh, retirement home, okay. um, which, <laughs> which, which, which on paper was fantastic with Bow Bridges and, uh, and a whole bunch of people. Um, and I kind of then moved uh, on the writing side just into uh, another standalone uh, young adult book called Drone Racer, uh, mm-hmm. which again was linked to my my love of films um, and love of technology uh, about a bunch of kids who find an artificially intelligent drone uh, as as they enter these these races. And drone racing is a big big esport, and they start to win races with this super smart drone. Uh, and the super smart drone is actually on the run from the you know, the shadowy government organization that made it and just doesn't want to go into combat. So it's essentially it's ET with drones, and that was terrific fun. And then tangentially to that, uh, my first book for grown-ups, for adults, uh, which was Control S, um, which is a difficult one to say on a pod- podcast because it's spelled C-T-R-L plus S, as in the keyboard shortcut. <laughs> and um, it, it was kind of, it's kind of a, a, a horror version, I guess, of where you'd go with Ready Player One uh, and, and those kind of films. So um, essentially about a, a group of 20 somethings and one of the mothers goes missing and they realize that there's a virtual world that everybody uses and i reinvented virtual reality i guess on on the way you see it in ready player one that it plugged into your emotions so it was all emotional based and people were harvesting emotions uh and selling them on so you could for a, for a fee, you could experience what it's like to jump off the building and free fall mm. and slam into the ground because they kidnap people off the street and do it to them, record their emotions right up until death. Uh, and then you can you can pay for the privilege of near-death experiences. And, and that's what they're doing. So it's um, it turned into this lovely near-future uh, kind of crime thriller, which mm. operates in a virtual world, the real world, and an augmented world. So there's actually three aspects to it. Um, and that was, ter- again, terrific fun to write. So, you know, you, there was a couple of horrific torture scenes that I got today. Um, <laughs> I could throw my love of sci-fi and there's a couple of action chases in there. So, again, it was a real mix of, of all the stuff that I generally enjoy. I'm going to catch that one. It's on my list to read, actually. So I've already downloaded it. So <laughs> I'm going to look forward to reading that one. <laughs> Good, man. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you go after Control S? So um, the the next step after that, well, a, a film that I may or may not be directing, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we've, I mean, it's always the way with films. I mean, we're actually, we've actually got some cast attached and the last two weeks, um, even with what's going on, uh, we've been out location scouting and it's a classic haunted house movie, period haunted house movie. And it's based on um, a play that's that's been around and, and done very well. Uh, I'll leave it at that for now, okay. <laughs> because um, yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, but it's really g'd up at the moment. And as tends to happen with films, most films get made because the entire film crew hurtled towards one date and mm. assume it's been made on that date, whilst the money men. Are, <laughs> haven't put anything in place yet and that slowly comes together and they, it gets more heated as that date approaches 
Whereas if you just say, let's have the money and then we'll make it, it never gets made. So you, you kind of have to convince everyone it's getting made and then hurtle towards the start point. And then on the day it's supposed to roll, hope that all the checks clear. Uh, so that's where <laughs> we're going with that. And at the same time, uh, my latest movie came out just a few days ago in France, which yeah. is a very, very bizarre hybrid documentary natural history thriller. Um, okay. We've been working on this <laughs> on this for years. In fact, the camera team have been recording stuff for 10 years. And it's a lion documentary on the surface about lions okay. and about their plight. And there's only 17,000 lions. It's beautifully shot and edited. And they've done it so it looks like the movie 300. So uh, I'll say that again. It looks like the movie 300. <laughs> so it's beautifully graded. It looks you know, all vivid, saturated colors. And then there's a lot of augmentation on the lions because we needed to tell a story. So there's digital scars, there's digital wounds, um, <clears throat> a lot of digital compositing right throughout the movie. And essentially, it tells the plight of this one outcast lion who's the bastard king. And that's what it's called, the bastard king. Or in France, it's just come out as Le, Le Roy Batard. <laughs> and it's a big cinematic experience, although because of COVID, it had a limited launch on uh, studio canals on demand streaming, but the aim is still to go theatrical. And it's a very dark um, story. Again, that could easily be classed as, as a horror. <laughs> I mean, if you read some of the reviews in France, you'll see there's some very violent scenes in that. But ultimately, it's also an eco story where we realize the villain in the piece is humanity. And I don't want to ruin any surprises in it. But towards the end, um, you think you're watching Blade Runner. Okay. That's all I can say. It's nothing like this has been done before. And it was very nice to see reviews recently from Le Monde and Figaro, which are like huge, respected newspapers in France, mm. just saying it's a beautifully poetic, timely, emotional film. And I'm thinking, I've never, I can't write poetry, but they're, they're saying it, you know, <laughs> the text is like poetry. But it's, it's such a, an important and fascinating film that again blurs animal documentary with horror, with thriller, with everything else. And it's also got this pounding modern score by uh, uh, two uh, French DJs who are very famous over there. And it does not feel like you're watching a David Attenborough documentary at mm. all. And it's actually, you know, we're, we're steering away from the word documentary because it's a fictional story implanted mm. in the wild. Uh, it's it, it's very difficult to pitch. Um, like, like, so like a documentary, we... but with kind of yeah, it's hard to pitch. <laughs> it's quite hard to pitch. But it's also a wildlife documentary. Yeah. Everything everything actually happened, but then it was given a hand and there's some computer generated stuff in there. Mm. So it, it's a very difficult one to to pitch because we're not saying this is real. We're saying, as you'll see by the end of the film, but we're saying that this is. Um, it's this is what's going to happen to us. Yeah. yeah, and we're all screwed if we don't do anything. It must be nice to have a big studio, like Studio Canal, behind it because Studio Canal are huge and they do tend to get the big, big hits. So it must be nice to have because Crowhurst was Studio Canal as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that was uh, that's another story. It wasn't Studio Canal. They, studio Canal had done the Mercy, which was the big budget version. And um, they they saw our version in the edit room and ran off and re-edited their version quite quickly and then came back and said, uh, can we have yours? And, of course, when studios do that, it's to sit on it and never, so your film never sees the light of day. And we managed amazingly to make sure that didn't happen. And uh, uh, Studio Canal did what, what, what they promised. And it, was, it was on After the Mercy, but it was on theatrically. You know, it, it, it's fun. So, yeah, this is my... Second venture with those guys. See, I can get filmy. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your final bloody good read? So, my final, I, I wanted to fuse what I, I knew we'd be talking about, which was that that meandering path between between books and film and and, and various things. And it's a book I don't think gets nearly enough credit because of the film. And mm -hmm. it is by F. Paul Wilson, and it is The Keep. Okay. And <laughs> it's such a fun book. It's you know, it, just just the premise: Nazis mm. in a Transylvanian castle with vampires. 
I mean, that, that's nice. all you really need to know about the whole thing. Um, and it was a Michael Mann movie, which wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't the best. It, it's one of those, again, guilty pleasures, if you can ever find a copy, because I don't, I don't think it's readily available. Um, but it feels very, it does feel very 80s. And, you know, I've always looked at this and thought, well, the book should be re-released and, and pushed wider because it's, it's just such a great, fun atmospheric story and it's ripe for a remake as well and we have so many brilliant vampire stories out there absolutely uh, but we also have so many terrible ones and you know i don't think you can do much wrong with nazis and vampires the the vampire genre is uh is, is stretched a bit <laughs> i'll give it <laughs> which is one of my favorite genres as could, well which is crazy <laughs> you could do just fun things one of my my uh, another utterly fantastic film flawless film is american werewolf in london and but there's the one bit when i very first saw that and it stuck with me and i'm, I'm actually looking at i've got a big shelf full of uh I was gonna, <laughs> not toys inspirational figures <laughs> and i have the two nazi werewolves at the dream sequence uh, as figures because yeah. that haunted me as a, as a kid out the whole film the transformation and everything else it was the nazi uh, werewolves of, uh, of that movie that stuck with me. So I, th- I think there's always a good combination when it comes to uh, war and horror. Nazis and horror have a very good relationship. Um, <laughs> Dead Snow. Dead Snow is an amazing zombie one. Yeah. That's a brilliant soundtrack. To that. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, not, Nazis, Nazis and, and horror. You can't go wrong with that. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, the, but the, the key, I, again, I, I, I don't. I, I, sorry, I just go back to to the keepers sorry. of book though. Um, it's it's one of those stories that you know it's being copied and cloned as well. So you you might read it now and go, well, yeah, why have I seen that before? But you're just suffering at the hands of actually a genuinely good creepy um, horror story, mm. meandering around a castle, spooky things happening, occasional soldier getting their throat ripped out. Uh, and what's actually behind it all so it's when i was mulling over my bookshelves uh thinking you know what what book would i really like to throw down and say it needs a revival i, I that's the one that just sprung off i had to get out and go i do i do like vampires so you know I, my interest <laughs> has peaked <laughs> some of the best ones i've read i mean ray garton did uh nightlife which is a kind of right. vampires in a uh, yeah, brothel basically, but it's done <laughs> so much better than, like, say, Dust or Dawn or something like that. It was a uh, such a great, yeah, kind of gritty Americanized vampire novel. And then you've also got uh, the Necroscope series as well, which is always a great series. Yeah. So, absolutely, uh, no, definitely one to add to my list of vampires. So, what have you got coming up next? I know there's lots of stuff we can't talk about. And- Lots of hush. But what about your book series? Any more book series that you're kind of working on? Oh, uh, yeah, so um, there is, um, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things. One, um, which is a, a, again, it crosses genre. It's, it's a, you know, a Michael Crichton-esque thriller with a whole bunch of real science, but also a horror edge, which, which is, which is going out very soon. Um, which we've one of us, uh, me and my agent, have got high hopes for. Um, <laughs> so that's that's something we're, I've done, um, and, and we're slowly slowly pushing that out. Um, as I say, that the film I'm, I'm looking to direct, and then book wise, I've always wanted to do a pure horror book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a real nice, um, more more in the world of kind of. Carrie, Christine, not not just not just stories about girls' names, but those <laughs> wonderful kind of stories, um, as opposed to um, jumping in doing a zombie or a werewolf. Or you know, I want I want to do something that is a li- just a little bit more frothy and fun, but but hyper scary. So um, that's my next mission. Um, really, is to, to to launch that string. Uh, of, of books and, and see how they go. Awesome. A horror book like that would be good. I do like Christine. It's one of my favourite uh, uh, King ones. Do, don't yeah. know why. Always, uh, 
yeah, always one that always sticks with me, Christy. I do like that one. So let's go back. Let's have a little chat about some horrors then. So you're you're a slasher fan. Yeah, uh, more of the the kind of older school slasher ones. Um, the eighties, kind of it's, thing. Yeah, I mean the, the yeah the, for, from all the, you know the Candyman, the Nightmare on Elm Street, because there was a certain irrelevance, or sorry, not irrelevance, irreverence behind them, which made them fun. When it kind of gets a little too kind of you know uh, serious, I kind of wane interest a little bit. Mm. Uh, so I like that level of fun or uniqueness. Um, and again, you, you mentioned aliens before I mentioned the thing, anything that can kind of straddle over those, those lines. So it takes you in unexpected territory. Mm. I just think make wonderful horror stories. Favorite eighties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hey, you, you worked on pretty versus Jason. That's a good question to ask. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it is. But then, um, the, the, I, see, I, I would have said before, even not working on that, that just for its sheer fun element is uh, I can't even remember which is it number three, um, um, Dream Dream Master, Dream Warrior. Dream Warriors, I'm, yeah. I'm blanking on the title now. That's all. <laughs> um, and, and and of course the original uh, Hell um, Hellraiser. Because, see, I love the original Hellraiser, but if you listen, I'll, I'll have to send you a link to the podcast because the boys hate it, and it's an ongoing argument <laughs> now of why did you choose this? Because it's really good. No, it's not, and it's just yeah, he yeah, my my co-host Noel absolutely hates it to the point where he but wants not to only is it, <laughs> <laughs> it's but, but but not not only to the point that it's it's such a a, a fun story. Mm. Uh, if you're going to watch the movie, you're actually. And again, this is a problem with time. You're watching a film that had revolutionary uh, prosthetic effects in it, like, mm. like like The Thing. And so you look at things that you'd never seen before on the screen. And that's, such, I mean, so you had a great story. You had something that was genuinely, you know, not only scary, but fun. It, you know, it was scary fun. And then mm. you had these, you know, the Cenobites. You had the, you had the real visual horror of it to lure you in and you hadn't seen anything so good you hadn't seen anything like that and yeah sometimes i think horror uh um even the best horror fails because the audiences are slightly jaded even though the actual work itself is just impeccable Mm. people don't know how to kind of chill out and enjoy it People pick pick apart it too much. It has to be too real nowadays. And I miss the eighties. I miss the kind of the classic <laughs> slashes and you know my favorite film of all time is Scream Two. I'm, I'm I'll never fantastic. I'll, I'll always I'll always stick by that. <laughs> well, I, I I always remember uh, when when Scream came out, um, being surprised because uh, that was back in the day. You know when when we're doing Freddy versus Jason, we we had tons of horror scripts. And that was originally called Scary Movie, which mm. then became the parody of Scream. But the original Scream script was called A Scary Movie. So when they came out of Scream, I went, oh, I'd read that years ago. That was terrific fun. And the, and the other the other thing uh, as well is, and this uh, problem we can't escape now, are spoilers. I mean, when, when you watched Hellraiser, when you watched any uh, of the, the you know, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, mm. the biggest spoiler you had were your mates who had watched it. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't have the entire plot ruined by somebody who had a grudge because they'd had a similar idea once upon a time. <laughs> and yeah, the internet does spoil a lot more. You do get to find it. TV shows are the worst ones to to get ruined. But it always reminds me, yeah. like the eighties, is that Simpsons scene where Homer's leaving uh, Star Wars, and he goes, "Who would have ever yeah. known?" <laughs> Darth Vader <laughs> Luke Skywalker's father. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now you now you got to do a go on Twitter in half an hour after program program being on. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I can talk about horror movies forever. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Uh, it's been a lovely chatting to you. Um, where can people find you uh, on social media? Um, best place to hit me up is um, at a. Briggs writer on Twitter. Um, somebody, somebody else called Andy Briggs stole my name. Um, so <laughs> at a Briggs writer and hit me up there. And, yeah, I'm always open for people throwing questions and saying hello and various things on there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's the best place to find me. I'm all over the internet in every other nook and cranny. 
but uh, that's the one I engage with the most <laughs> when I've got time. But no, wonderful. Thank you for the invite. It's been it's been a lot of fun. No, that's no, fine. say we, we you know you've been to Waterstones and gun book signing with me for so many years. Oh yeah, you won yeah. the first. You won the, one of the main authors I wanted to get on the podcast. So I've uh, crossed another one off my oh, list. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if if I'll, I'll tell you, if this film gets to be directed, then uh, you know we sh- we should do a little podcast special, you and I. No, oh, definitely. Um, Come onto the horror cast. We'll have you on. <laughs> a deal. Yeah, we'll do we'll do that on set. Put a face mask on. Sit sit, sit mile away from me hey, and uh, enjoy a, the experience. I am always happy to wear a mask for for uh, a set visit. So don't you worry about that. <laughs> So, uh, as always, thank you for listening to Bloody Good Reads. Uh, I have been your host, Mark Goddard. Uh, you can catch me over on Twitter in two places, as always, uh, at Snakebite Horror, which is uh, my my personal uh, Twitter, which will have uh, Bloody Good Read updates, and you'll have the Snakebite Horrorcast and Snakebite Horror updates as well. Um, you can catch us also on Twitter at Bloody Good Reads, uh, Instagram at Bloody Good Reads, and at Snakebite Horror. And you can also catch me every fortnight on the Horrorcast where me, Nan, and Marcus will review horror films in our own interesting way. <laughs> we have a new episode coming up. Uh, so when this episode will be released, we'll be doing our Halloween special, which is me and the boys reviewing Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street, which I believe most of those Nan hasn't seen yet. So this is going to be an interesting one. So, um, yeah, do... Um, contact us let us know what how you're you know enjoying the podcast and also a quick shout out to our sponsor uh, abominable book club it is the uh, monthly subscription box for um, some great horror and thriller fiction yeah a brand new book a, a secondhand book some extras in there as well magazines snacks if you go for the higher tier and as always you can get 10 percent off your first box with the code bloody good reads and you can get them over at the abominable book and uh yeah go check them out and use the code get some get some money off and get some awesome books uh they're just started taking for the november box so yeah go and go and see what they've got over there and uh awesome so, um, as always, thank you for listening. I have been your host, Mark Goddard, and I will see you next time.